0: For those of you who missed the debate last night and were instead watching the final episode of Jane the Virgin, in which Jane and Raphael resolved their love affair in a wonderful conclusion full of laughter and tears and a closing scene that made my heart swell, let me fill you in on what you would have seen if you were watching the debate like I was instead of Jane the Virgin, which really was terrific. At the debate, there were a lot of Democrats standing on a stage apparently, and I think one of them was Joe Biden or somebody And then there were some other people, and they were all telling us about the great things the Democrats were going to do as soon as they could get their hands on all our money, and how that was going to cut costs. Although not for us, of course, because all our money would be gone, but at least everything would be free for someone else who snuck into the country illegally. But not in a breaking the law sort of illegally way, but in a different illegally way where we have to give them stuff because otherwise we'd be mean, and that's not who we are, for some reason. But then All our health care would be free, which is a good thing since the Democrats would have all our money, so it's not like we could pay for it. And buying us free things with all our money will apparently strike a blow against the evil corporations who somehow have gotten their hands on all the medicine and iPhones and stuff and are making us pay for them instead of giving them to us for free, which we'll need them to do because the Democrats will have all our money. Then everyone agreed Trump was racist, and if they could just get rid of him, they would turn the whole country into a wonderful, wonderful place like Baltimore and Jane and Raphael live happily ever after. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is a-biddy-zing. It's a wonderful day, hoorah, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hoorah, hooray. You know, in the old days, leftists used to call themselves progressives. And then when people found out progressivism didn't work, they called themselves liberals. And then when people found out liberalism didn't work, they called themselves leftists. And then when people... Found out leftism didn't work. They called themselves progressives again. And all in all, I actually prefer the term progressive because it reminds me of other progressive things like emphysema and rheumatoid arthritis. And in fact, the reason leftism always wins over the long run is because it is a progressive disease. It's a form of slow cultural death. It puts an end to the making of things and supports The taking of things, the wealth of the makers is spread around so that making is no longer incentivized and taking is, and you get a generation or two of divvying up the spoils created by your predecessors. Then you go broke. Stagnation overwhelms you. You're gone. And after a few centuries of darkness, a new free society rises up to start making things again. That's a 10 second history of Europe after the world wars. And there usually are two big arguments used to sell progressivism. Argument one, they have stuff. We want stuff. We should take their stuff. And argument two, makers are mean, takers are nice. Now that second argument actually has some truth to it. Makers aren't always the nicest people. The settlers of lands, the builders of nations, the creators of factories, the inventors of machines, and even the creators of art like me usually have a pretty tough streak in them that allows them to kill the indigenous population, or take charge of other people, or exploit the workers, or simply tell all the naysayers and time wasters to buzz off and leave them alone so they can do their jobs. Those who benefit from the lands they settle and the nations they build and the factories and machines and art they make, they can call them, tell themselves that they're nice because they just live off what the makers made. And in order to prove how nice they are, they pillage what the makers made and they spread it around to other people. And then that becomes the token of success. So they begin to compete. Who can be the nicest? Who can pillage the most? And everything falls apart. That's civilization for you. It's not made to last. It's made to grow and live and die like people do. Yesterday, watching the Democratic debates, I saw candidates trying to take more and more from less and less, spreading around the wealth of a country already so deeply in debt our children's children won't be able to pay the debt off. And even to me, these takers sounded nicer, kinder, more compassionate than Donald, Donald Trump, who, let's face it, sounds mean, like a maker of things. So that's the choice between us. Are we still American tough guys who want to build and make and head out into space and conquer space, or are we going to nice ourselves to death? Let us talk about it. First, we will talk about Ring. Ring has a mission, and their mission is to make neighborhoods safer. You probably know about their smart video doorbells and cameras. They protect millions of people everywhere. They're great. Guy comes to your door. No matter where I am, I can see that person on my phone and talk to him and ask him questions, ask him why he's there, what he wants, what he's doing there, and either let him in or let him tell him what to do or get rid of him or call the cops, right? Ring helps you stay connected to your home everywhere, anywhere you are in the world. So there's a package delivery, a surprise visitor. You'll get an alert and be able to see, hear, and speak to him. That's thanks to the HD video and two-way audio features on Ring devices. And they also have a motion-activated floodlight cam, which turns on the floodlights if somebody enters your property. As a listener, you have a special offer on a Ring starter kit available right now with a video doorbell and the motion-activated floodlight cam. The starter kit has everything you need to start building a ring of security around your home. Just go to ring.com slash Clavin. That's ring.com slash Clavin. Anyone comes near you, ask him, how do you spell Clavin? If he knows, just open fire. K-L-A-V-A-N. That was a joke. Uh, All right. We're going into the Clavenless weekend, but let us discuss uh, this second round of the second debate. It was a little more exciting than the first one. You know, it's funny. I I think a lot of, uh, just my take, I was watching some of the Democrats reacting, by the Democrats, I mean the press, uh, reacting to the debate. And I think they have this sinking feeling. There is this idea that the i the, the left-wing ideas that people are talking about the people who are being rational the people who are being uh, reasonable and don't want to spend all our money and don't want to offer people all this stuff that we can't pay for and that wouldn't work and that would take our freedoms away those people are the second tier Candidates, it's the Elizabeth Warrens and the uh, you know Bernie Sanders who are in the lead, and then there's Joe Biden, and Joe Biden is in this weird position in that people like him because he looks normal, he represents normalcy. He's been around for 150 years, so he's a swamp creature. He's he just is basically saying you can trust me, I'm your old pal Joe, Uh, and even though he obviously stands for nothing, he caves in whenever he's under pressure. He judges the audience, he judges the voters without really having any principles to bring to bear. Even so, he reminds people of of normalcy. But he's kind of dull and a little bit doddering and no one knows, you know, whether to believe anything he says or not. And so it was really interesting. After watching this, Michael Moore, uh, I can't remember which station he was on either CNN or MSNBC. What's the difference? Uh, Michael Moore, the filmmaker, the radical filmmaker, went on a 12-minute rant. Uh, This is MSNBC, which ended with this. And before I play it, I just want to remind you that Moore, as he reminded people, said that Trump was going to win in the last election. Moore's superpower is that he is from Detroit, Michigan, he is from a working class background, and so he has some feel, unlike a lot of these people, he has some feel for what ordinary people are are thinking, and that's why he knew Trump was going to win, and this is what he says now.
1: Who can crush Trump? Who's the street fighter? We saw it in Bernie last night. Who's the street fighter? that can crush Trump. And frankly, I think there's a person that could do this. If the election were held today, there is one person that would crush Trump. And she hasn't announced yet. And her last name rhymes with Obama.
2: In fact, (laughs) it is Obama.
1: Michelle Obama. Everybody watching this right now knows she is a beloved American. And she would go in there. And she would beat him. She would beat him in the debates. He wouldn't be able to bully her. He wouldn't be able to nickname her. And, and, and she is beloved.
0: You know, it's interesting. He, he's making a good point. And it could happen. I mean, we all have noticed that Barack Obama has not endorsed Joe Biden. And why not? You know, is is he holding fire? Does he hate Joe? No. I mean, he may be waiting to see what Michelle wants to do. Plus, Michelle's uh, autobiography, which I have not yet read, but I hear that every conservative should read it because it really sells her as kind of the all-American story, the up-and-comer. She's got all the identity politics that the left want. She's a woman. She's black. Uh, they loved Obama. And it's an interesting thing because she is a beloved American. There's just there's just no getting around that. More is just telling the truth. She's a beloved American. The question is, are people going to fall again for, you know, I think people vote for, voted for Obama a, a lot because it made them feel good about themselves. It made them feel good about America. We've gotten past the racism. We've elevated this guy. And I think they got burned. And it is interesting that even though Obama won re-election and even though he remained popular, personally popular in the polls, the Democrat Party under Obama was gutted there was nobody left. There were no governors. There were no state assembly people. There was no no senator. They lost both houses. I mean, it was amazing how he destroyed the Democrat party while remaining popular himself. People liked him. Uh, people maybe liked themselves when they liked him. And maybe they would feel the same way about Michelle. Or maybe they would feel, yeah, thanks very much. You know, get a talk show and that'll be fine. And we'll love you there. But we don't want you destroying this stuff that Donald Trump has done, like increase our wages and increase our jobs and keep the peace and do all the things that Obama failed to do. So it would be the ultimate left-right uh, race. It would actually be the ultimate left-right race race, if you think about it for a minute, because it would be an attractive, nice, beloved person whose policies have been proven failure. They are have a proven track record of failure. And it would be mean, belligerent, nasty Donald Trump whose policies have worked. And that, that's the ultimate right and left, right? Because the right... Uh, is the daddy party. It's the mean party. It's the party who tells you the truth. It's the party who gives you a shot in the head when you're misbehaving. It's the party who thinks people who break the law should be arrested. It's the party who thinks what, what works should be there instead of what makes us feel good about ourselves. And the left is the party of we're nice, here's some money, we'll take that money from that evil rich guy and we'll give it to you. And I love this thing about the evil corporations, by the way, as if the evil corporations had somehow kidnapped our iPhones and won't give them to us instead of making our iPhones. And I believe that corporations can be, I, I sound the Bernie Sanders. Now, I happen to believe, uh, I, I believe that corporations can be power centers that need to be tamed, but they do create stuff and it's. they don't owe us iPhones. They don't owe us medicine. They make it and they sell it for a profit. That's how that works. So It is interesting to watch. Uh, You know, yesterday I said that the one word you never hear in a democratic debate is liberty. They never talk about liberty because they don't want to tell you that the stuff that they are offering not only costs money, which they pretend they're going to get from the rich, but they're really going to get from the middle class. They not only... uh, They don't want to tell you that, but they also don't want to tell you that it costs your liberty. Everything the government gives you comes at a price of your liberty. Everything the government controls means they have control over you. This is why universities are the way they are. Universities take federal money and they can't say or do things that they want to say or do. Same thing with churches, some churches. Once you are in debt, once you take the king's shilling, you belong to the king. So, Liz Peake at Fox said there's another word. There's another word that no one uttered at last night's or either of the uh, Democratic debates. And that word is growth. They're not talking about building stuff. And Trump tweeted this too. Trump tweeted the people on the stage tonight talking about the debate and last night were not those that will either make America great again or keep America great. Our country now is breaking records in almost every category from stock market to military to unemployment. We have prosperity and success like never before. And these are not the guys who are going to do it. And they're not. They're talking about taking from what was built and giving it to you. You know, you didn't build it, but here's the money. And and remember, this is the thing, that all of this wealth that this nation had until my generation came along and pillaged it, all of the wealth the nation had was built by the people before. It was built by people who were free to build. It was built by people who could put up the Empire State Building in nine months instead of going through regulatory agencies for 10 years. It was built by people who were free, and all that freedom has drained away as these people take and take and take. So let's take a look at some of the stuff that was going. As you'll remember last time, uh, Joe Biden took a hit from Kamala Harris. That was kind of the big moment in the debate. It was about busing, and it was about his past. And this is the other thing that I should point out is that because progressivism is, in fact, progressive. Because you have to keep giving more and more. It's not enough to say, "Oh, well, there's a safety net, and if you're out of work, we'll keep you alive, we'll keep your kids alive." Now you have to say, "Well, we want free glasses. We want free. Bernie was offering free glasses yesterday. You're going to get free college. You're going to get free edu- everything's going to be free." So you have to. It, it progresses because you have to be nicer and nicer and nicer, and give more and more of what is not your money away. And that's why Margaret Thatcher said, "Eventually, you run out of." other people's money. There was this kind of cute moment when uh, Biden, when Harris first came on stage and uh, Biden and Harris shook hands. And this was after the hit. This is uh, cut number one. This is after the uh, hit that he took. uh, And here's what Biden said to her. From California, Senator Kamala Harris. Go easy on me, kid. Okay. You, you, <laughs> you gotta love. Go easy on me, kid. He says. You gotta love Biden. He's like he cannot get his foot out of his mouth. I mean, it's kind of like his tongue is made of shoe leather. Anyway, it was actually it was actually Harris who was on defense most of the night. Uh, she didn't do very well. I thought she was kind of lackluster. I thought she took a lot of hits. Uh, Uh, Tulsi Gabbard went after her for her record as a prosecutor. This is cut number five, uh, basically saying she was a hard-boiled prosecutor, uh, which in in a lot of ways she was.
2: Senator Harris says she's proud of her record as a prosecutor and that she'll be a prosecutor president, but I'm deeply concerned about this record. There are too many examples to cite, but she put over 1,500 people in jail for marijuana violations and then laughed about it when she was asked if she ever smoked marijuana. She blocked evidence. She blocked evidence that would have freed an innocent man from death row until the courts forced her to do so. She kept people in prison beyond their sentences to use them as cheap labor for the state of California. And she fought to keep cash bail system in place that impacts poor people in the worst kind of way.
1: Thank you, Congresswoman. Uh, Senator Harris, your response?
2: As the elected Attorney General of California... I did the work of significantly reforming the criminal justice system of a state of 40 million people, which became a national model for the work that needs to be done. And I am proud of that work.
0: And her her real, real response came afterward with Anderson Cooper and was really dismissive. And I thought was a big, big error, a big mistake. I don't know how many people were watching it. The debate's ratings were pretty low uh, after the first debate. But she made this kind of dismissive remark that I thought made her look like who she really is uh this is cut number six
2: this is gonna sound immodest but i'm obviously a top tier candidate and so i did expect that i would be on the stage and take hits tonight because there are a lot of people that are trying to make the stage for the next debate yeah for a
0: lot of them it's do or die
2: well yeah and especially when people are at zero or one percent or whatever she might be at and so i did expect that i might take hits tonight um but you know listen i think that um, this coming from someone who has been an apologist for uh, a, 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 an individual, Assad, who has murdered um, the people of his, of his country, to, like cockroaches. Um, she, who has embraced and been an apologist for him in a way that she refuses to call him a war criminal. Um, I, I can only take what she says in her opinion so seriously. Um, and so, I, you know, I'm prepared to move on.
0: You know, nowadays, there are so many different types of cars on the road. There's just no way the auto parts store can stock everything. People go to these auto parts stores. It's really true. They go to them because they feel they have some expertise that they don't have. And it's not really the case. If you go to rockauto.com, you can do the whole thing. Get your auto parts from the convenience of your home, from the convenience of your computer. Rockauto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. If you go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts, From hundreds of manufacturers, they have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or a daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique. It's remarkably easy to navigate. Uh, And best of all, the prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low. And they're the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Write Claven in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. You know, how do you spell, how are you going to spell Claven for crying out loud? It's K-L-A-V-A-N. There are no E's in Claven. I just make it look this easy. rockauto.com. So, Again, this competition to be nice includes the criminal justice system. When uh, Kamala Harris was a prosecutor, certainly when Joe Biden was passing tough on crime bills that he keeps getting hit hit, hit for, uh, there was a lot of crime a lot of crime. The Supreme Court had been liberal for a long time. The uh, suspects and perps had been given all these rights that made it harder and harder for the cops to get the evidence they needed to convict them. And the cities went down the drain. They all were like Baltimore. They all became what cities, what left-wing cities are becoming now. And so there are all these tough on crime bills, these things where they say, oh, you know, it was mass incarceration, as I keep saying. It wasn't mass incarceration. It was incarceration one person at a time. And so now, because progressivism is progressive, it's progressively nicer and nicer and nicer until the making of things stops, until the uh, securing of borders, the being tough on crime, until all that goes away. Now people are defending what they did to stop the plague of crime that made cities unlivable. That's what they're doing. Uh, Cory Booker, Spartacus, uh, went off on Biden about crime. Well, let's have have that cut about his, the fact that Biden was part of being tough on crime.
1: This is a crisis in our country because we have treated issues of race and poverty, mental health and addiction with locking people up and not lifting them up. And Mr. Vice President has said that Since the 1970s, every major crime bill, every crime bill, major and minor, has had his name on it. And sir, those are your words, not not mine. And this is one of those instances where the house was set on fire and you claimed responsibility for those laws. And you can't just now come out with a plan to put out that fire. We have got to have far more bold action Mm -hmm. on criminal justice reform. Like having you, true marijuana justice, which means Thank that we you, legalize Booker. it on a federal level Thank you, and reinvest the profits in communities you, that Senator have been Booker. disproportionately targeted by the Vice marijuana. President Biden, Vice President
0: Biden, that, that is amazing. I, I love these uh, left-wing phrases. We lock them up instead of lifting them up. I mean, you you know what these people did? These these criminals do. I mean, you know that I don't have to recite the horrible crimes that took place. The the. Kinds of things that happen in uh, in crime-ridden neighborhoods, and they happen. You know, they happen to people of color. It's not just people of color who commit some of those crimes. It's people of color who suffer from those crimes, and somehow those victims disappear because we've got it. We can't lock these people up. These people who rape and murder people. We can't lock them up. We've got to lift them up. You got to lift up that racist. You know, you got to lift up that murderer, that gunman, that gangster. I mean, it's an amazing. An amazing lack of reality. It's but it's the imagination of niceness. They are going to make you nice. They are going to make you good. They are going to justify you. It really is. It really is incredible. Biden had a fairly decent response. Biden is being credited with having a good night. I I thought he's. I just think he's a dullard and kind of a dope at this point. But they, a lot of uh, people who were watching thought he had a better night than before, which I guess he did. But here's Biden's response to Cory Booker. The
1: fact is that the bills that the president, that the, excuse me, the future president here. That, that, that the senator is talking about are bills that were passed years ago, and they are passed overwhelmingly. Since 2007, I, for example, tried to get the crack powder cocaine totally d- disparity totally eliminated. In 2007, you became mayor, and you had a police department that was—you went out and you hired Rudy Giuliani's guy. You en- engaged in stop and frisk. You had 75 percent of those stops reviewed as illegal. You found yourself in the situation where three times as many African-American kids were caught in that chain and caught up. The Justice Department came after you for saying you were were engaging in behavior that was inappropriate. And then in fact, uh, nothing happened. The entire time you were mayor. Thank you, Sen- uh, Senator Booker. You want to respond? Well, first of all, I'm grateful that he endorsed my presidency already.
0: Yeah, that's the doddering old Joe calls him President Booker. You know, I mean, it's, everybody says it was a good performance. I don't know, but this is this is really interesting. Now, you hear Joe Biden going after him for stop and frisk. Stop and frisk was a great rule that really disarmed a lot of bad guys, took uh, unregistered guns off people. And listen, you stand on a corner with a cop. I have done this. You can do it. Stand on a corner with a cop. He will tell you every single person who's holding a gun. And so they would stop and frisk. They did this in New York. They said, no, you can't do this anymore. It's racist. But of course, it's not. It's just a cop knows who's carrying a gun. He can look at the way your pants are slung. He can look at the way you're walking. He knows if you're carrying. He knows if you're strapped. And like so he's talking about these things that worked, that cleared up these neighborhoods. He's accusing Cory Booker, fairly, because Cory Booker didn't clean up Newark, but he's accusing him of, uh, of disproportionately um, tar the police disproportionately targeting uh, black kids but it's in fact black guys commit 10 almost 10 times the amount of murders i believe it is than white people and hispanics put together so it's a problem in the neighborhood it's a problem that has to be solved and it's going to mean a disproportionate number of blacks are targeted but it also is going to mean a disproportionate number of black people are saved and rescued and protected it's it's a tragedy i think that it's a uh, it's due, it, it can be traced back to these nice, nice Democrat policies that have basically uh, let these cultures fall apart. You know, I got to add this, this hilarious video that Donald Trump's people came up with yesterday. You you will remember Donald Trump uh, said, oh, you know, um, Baltimore is crime infested and rat infested and everybody was, oh, he said infested, infested as if they was, were beasts, as if the you know, and suddenly infested became a racial dog whistle. And it was just utter nonsense. He was going after Elijah Cummings. So he found, so Trump's people found a video of Elijah Cummings from 20 years ago uh, saying this.
2: This morning,
3: I left my community of Baltimore, a drug infested area where a lot of the drugs that we're talking about today have already taken the lives of so many children. The same children that I watched 14 or 15 years ago as they grew up now walking around like zombies. This is only 40 miles away from here. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> there's not only not only is it infested, there's zombies. They're not even people. Can you imagine if Donald Trump said this? Can you imagine the endless, endless, not to mention endless commentary about how racist he is just amazing donald trump jr sent out a tweet saying obviously racist right those are the rules it's just you know it is amazing the internet is the worst thing that ever happened to democrats because because it's progressive because it's progressivism they have to get nicer and nicer and nicer they have to take more and more and more they have to get more and more lenient with crime the border has to get more and more open because it is progressive because that's the competition who can be the nicest who can be the most compassionate who can be the most wonderful it has to get more and more. So always the past is under fire. And the Internet is the worst thing that happened to him because it preserves the past. We've got videos of the past showing uh, the way they were back then. So Elijah Cummings saying something that if Donald Trump said it, he would be crucified. Unbelievable. It's an unbelievable kind of hypocrisy. And it's the worst thing that could have that could happen to the, uh, to the Democrats that they can be recorded like this. And by the way, so many of them, so many of them take their stuff off YouTube. You go back and try to find those clips and they vanish mysteriously. It's quite, quite interesting. Uh, so let's take a look at the Libs reaction. Let's go to MSNBC and take a look at the Libs reaction. For one thing, they were shocked, shocked, I tell you, that they kept picking on Obama, especially when it came to healthcare. People kept saying our healthcare system is broken. Our healthcare system is broken. Our healthcare system is is Obamacare. And so they were really upset that it wasn't Trump they were going after. It was Obama. But think about it. It has to be that way, right? If Joe Biden was dealing with things in his time and was opposed to busing and was uh, tough on crime, and those were the problems of his time, and now we've gotten so much nicer and so we've progressed and progressed and progressed until we're going to just lift up our murderers. We're going to live. We're not going to lock. He would lock up a rapist. What's wrong with you? We're going to lift that rapist right up. And, you know, once he gets up there, man, he's going to be great. It's all going to be great. So you've got to keep going back. So who's the last guy? It's Obama. Obama. So they were picking on Obama instead of Trump because they have to, the past is your enemy. You're progressive. You're always progressing away from the past. So MSNBC was shocked that Obama was coming under fire, which they shouldn't be.
3: And the weirdest thing to me, which I'm having a hard time with, is, is it a smart strategy to attack the Obama administration? I mean, this is a a Democratic president elected twice. I think he's the only Democrat we've had, you know, with the margins he's had since FDR that did that. Remains wildly popular in the Democratic Party. It was weird for me to watch about 40, almost 40
1: minutes um, of primarily attacks on the Obama administration's policies. It was odd. It's almost as if the debate forgot who's president. Because the attacks on Donald Trump, I don't, I don't remember his name being mentioned that much, and so it was odd for me for these candidates to debate changes in health care and their different policies on immigration as if Trump doesn't exist. Yes, they were attacking the Obama and I administration. Yeah, they were. I mean, they, were. Yeah. they spent a lot of time doing that. I, I think you if you are a Democratic candidate for president uh, and you spend your precious time on the debate stage attacking uh, the very popular former president, you're, you're not making. I think you're not making progress.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, but you You are making progress because you've got to progress and if you progress, the guy behind you has always been doing wrong. It always has to be, you know, it's the difference between being grateful for your country that has given you all this stuff or always saying that the flaws of the past or somehow you have to be paid back for them. People who make stuff, people who make stuff aren't looking backward, they're looking forward. People who take stuff are always trying to make you feel guilty so they can justify taking stuff from you. That is the difference between makers and takers. And finally, you know, the MSNBC, same pa- I think it was the same panel or one a bigger panel, actually. Um, one of the things they have to do in the end is they have to tell you, if you elect Donald Trump, you will not be nice. And that is really the argument we're having. That's why, that's why I think Michael Moore is right. Michelle Obama would be a good idea because if niceness is going to win the day, Michelle Obama can play that role. She can also make you feel nice because you're electing a woman and a black person and that'll make you feel nice. And that's what they're selling. And here you can just hear him say it flat out. It's almost blackmail. Uh, You're racist. You were founded in racism. This country was founded in racism. And if you want to get off the hook, you got to vote for us.
2: What needs to happen for white voters? Because it almost sounds like when we say, because it's really hard for, I think, America and Americans to acknowledge that this is a racist country. It's founded on racism. So So what needs to happen? And let let me just say, I think when when we put this to white America sometimes, there is this misunderstanding that you can be okay with racism and not be called a racist. And I just, for people of color across the country, it's really hard to take that.
1: I
0: I do think that the, the key to the answer to your question is that,
1: there are a lot of white Americans who don't want to think of themselves
2: as right. racists. Right. And, right. That, and this
1: is why a lot of them voted for Obama. They were like, yeah. I'm going to show, like the the I'm show yeah. that I'm not a racist. But, and if they can be
0: convinced that... Even if you are not a racist, if you vote for a racist, it's giving you aid yeah. and yeah. comfort. I, quickly, I, Jason, I, 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 and then Maria. First
1: off, I, I agree with you. That just takes too much time. So, at the end of the day, there ain't one white person in America who will not vote for Trump because he's a racist, because they knew he was a racist when he got elected. Right.
0: right. So, so even if you vote for Trump, even if you vote, I'm sorry, for the Democrats, you're not going to get any credit for it, because you're only doing it to feel that you're not racist. you feel that you're not racist, but you're st- still a racist. It's not really much of an offer, but it is the difference between being grateful and looking forward and saying, now, I, I, I was the inheritor of all the things that were made, of all the things that were built all the wealth that was created. I inherited all that and I didn't do it. And now I'm going to create and make and build things for the future. Or saying, hey, you guys were mean. You didn't do right by me. I'm owed something. Give me what you have. You have it. I want it. Let me take it. Those are the choices we have before us. They look nice. They look nice. But that niceness is death. It is certain death. All right. We're going to stay on uh, Facebook and YouTube so you can watch. But that is all the more reason to talk about guilt. That is all the more reason for you to come to dailywire.com and subscribe. It's only a lousy 10 bucks for the month, 100 bucks for the year. And you get to ask questions in the mailbag. We had a great mailbag yesterday. I solved all your problems. People are now, if you look, just go on the street. You'll see people are happier. They're brighter. It's because I answered all your questions on the mailbag. And also, I want you to be able to hear uh, my guest today. Peter Whittle is an author, journalist, broadcaster, and British politician. He's the founder and director of the New Culture Forum Think Tank and host of So What You're Saying is a weekly cultural and political interview show on YouTube. Uh, many of you, know that Britain has a new prime minister, Boris Johnson. I wanted to bring Peter on to talk about that and also to talk about Brexit. Peter, it's good to see you. Very
3: good
0: to be here, Andrew. Thank you. So I'm, I'm watching Brexit. Yes. I, I can't believe so we all. The, the hysteria <laughs> that this has set off. Is, is Boris Johnson going to make a difference?
3: Well, at the moment, Andrew, the po- I think the point is really is that there's a lot of goodwill towards him. OK. Well, you might say desperation. <laughs> um, basically, in a, to put it in context, as you know, we've had this thing going on now for over three years, yeah. right? There was a vote, same year that Donald Trump got elected, was a vote, clear vote. And people have been astonished, I think, that here we are, still having European elections, still not out... So there is a, a will, they, you know, they want him to do well. I would have to say that I'm very sceptical for a number of reasons. Okay. Um, not least of all because they've got a terrible record at it, this Conservative Party, and also the nature of the man as well, you know, can one really trust him to do this? And uh, also, it's time. It's actually a practical thing, Andrew, yeah. you know, we're meant to be coming out by October 31st. Well, you know, everyone's on holiday and all the rest of it, but you can work out how long that is. How are you going to get a deal together? And also, without boring all your, you know, viewers with the way it works in the English Parliament, just on a purely, um, on a on the basis of arithmetic, or math alone, it's hard to see how you could actually get anything through. Mm. So, I mean, the point is, is that I believe that we should... Leave. We should have left in the in the very first right. place. Straight away on on World Trade Organization rules, um, but what happened is that it all became about the deal and the deal we can get and all the rest of it. And it. Pretty much sidelined. What the real issues, I think, were, were, were why people voted.
0: You know, in the same way, in the same way that Reagan and Thatcher had a certain kind of yes. uh, similarity, yeah. there does seem to be a similarity here between Brexit but, and Trump, in the sense that yeah. the elites don't seem to be able to believe that this has happened to them.
3: You're quite right. I mean, I think the personal uh, connection between them is just purely based on the fact they both got blonde hair. But I think you absolutely put your finger on it. I mean. First of all, you know, the liberal establishment in Britain just simply were not thinking this was going to happen. Mm. And they could have never quite come to terms with it. And so basically, they've been fighting it all the way since. So to that extent, it is like Trump. And I think that what we've seen during that period, as well this past three years, is this kind of I'd say it's an attack on people who actually voted for Brexit. I was a strong campaigner for Brexit, uh-huh. you know, and uh, so you've had the same thing, a little bit like uh, when with Hillary's deplorables. right. You know, that if you voted for Brexit, that you were th- you're you're dumb, or that you're uneducated. I, friends might have said this, essentially or, that, yeah, exactly, or yeah. that you're racist. All of these things, absolutely, basically, slanderous, I would say, right. uh, about people. And I think that they don't they don't understand. The liberal elites don't understand it, and this is crucial because they don't agree with the reasons that people maybe voted for Brexit, but more to the point they actually just don't get it hmm. so if I can explain yes please yeah um, the referendum campaign was largely fought on economic terms like is this a good bat is this a good thing for us economically or is it a bad thing right since then um, that's carried on right? Even though there was the vote to come out, it's carried on. It's been in entirely economic terms. Like, should we have a soft Brexit or a hard Brexit? Should we have a... You know, what kind of deal should we get? What they don't get and what they don't agree with, the the Liberal establishment, is that people voted, I'd say, largely on cultural grounds. I mean, it was about things like sovereignty. It was about things like national independence. It was about things like democracy. And also it was about things as well like immigration. But all of those things, I would say, were are basically cultural things. And uh, they just don't, not only do they not un- uh, agree with it, but they just don't understand it. So consequently, they're still not talking. They're still not understanding why people might have voted.
0: So can parliamentarians, MPs, can they not understand the desire for national sovereignty. I mean, are they? Are, do they have any purpose now besides to be talking heads? Does, do their votes even count?
3: Good point. Uh, actually, you know, it's interesting. With national sovereignty, you very rarely hear it discussed, like on a program such as such as this, or we're doing now. i very, mean, very rarely. It is all. It's entirely about what is the effect going to be on the economy. Uh, what is it, you know is this going to be a good thing or a bad thing? It's always because the, the broadcast establishment in Britain, the broadcast media, is, is hugely Remainer. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, right. They're pro-EU, right. usually. And that's become very clear in the past three years. But they, it's all about that. They, it, the idea of people worrying about democracy and being you know, ruled from another country or whatever it is, that, that is not really discussed. It's still mm. not discussed.
0: Wow. So talk about the culture a little bit, because yes. one of the things here, especially if you're a conservative and you're on conservative Twitter uh, and you you see news from England yeah. or from the UK, it's always about, oh, somebody criticized Islam and was arrested for it. Is it that bad? Is it so bad that you now cannot say, go on the air and say, look, maybe... Islam is not compatible with Western civilization?
3: I think the thing is that what we have, which is uh, different to here, I think, because of your constitution, simple as that, is that we have um, something now called hate crime, um, which actually is something to do with Brexit, too. And that is where basically, uh, you know, if a crime is perceived to also be aggravated by... Uh, prejudice or yeah. whatever it is, any of these things, criticism, um, then uh, basically it can be more harshly treated. Um, what you have now is a sort of situation where people say, oh, well, after Brexit, there's been a rise in general hate in society and what have you towards minority groups and everything. Um, um, the problem is with with hate crime is, is that... It is a crime which uniquely requires almost no evidence. <laughs> yeah, right. It's right. extraordinary. Yeah. and it also requires purely the say-so of the person, you know, who's who's supposedly the victim. So as a result, and also if you if you report something like that, then what happens is that it goes straight onto the police statistics. Mm. You know, so therefore there's suddenly there's this huge rise. In fact, in ah, fact, when okay. you look at it, actually probably in terms of prosecution, it's quite. Quite small. I would say that on the general freedom of speech thing when it comes to freedom of speech there is confusion now about what you can say and what you really, can't say yeah really, there's yeah. this
0: general which means you don't want to say it well but, yeah. basically
3: what people do is they say uh they sort of make the calculation well I don't quite know whether this is right or wrong so I'll just stay stay quiet um I think that basically you should be able to criticize any belief system Any ideology, and I would always resist any attempts uh, to somehow or other hedge about with that. Well, you're doing this, this
0: show, which I've watched, and it's really good, the new Thank Culture form So, what you're saying is, is that based on that interview with Jordan Peterson? That- it's
3: certainly. I, was gonna, I had a long explanation <laughs> for you, yeah. Andrew. I was, had a long explanation. I was going to tell you what it exactly is yeah. that. You know, this was constantly said. Yeah. He, he was being second guessed all the time. Right. And, uh, in fact, he uh, <laughs> uh, he got the better of of, of the network. Uh, so, that's why we call it that. Okay. Um, yes, I mean, the point is, is that you have a fabulous operation here at the Daily Wire. Uh, in Britain, we you know we want really to create an alternative because the broadcast media, obviously the BBC, which right. is like the state broadcaster, but all the other networks too, they are broadly you know liberal. They are meant not to be biased, but they broadly are. Certainly, the BBC is. It's become very clear during the whole Brexit mm-hmm. issue. Yeah. It's become very clear. And um, so we want to create an alternative. That's the reason that I started the show. And uh, I, do ho- I do hope people
0: Watch it. Yeah. Well, now if people, if you went on, if you went on the, who is the fellow? Is it Tommy Robinson? Is that his name? Who keeps getting arrested, for, right? For uh, criticism for basically yeah. saying things about Islam. If you went on the BBC, and I, I look at the BBC, You, you are kind to them. You say they're lean to the left, but they look like pure communists to me. <laughs> so, but if 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 I go on the BBC or you go on the BBC and you say we have a problem with Islamic immigration, it is, uh, you know, it's a violent religion. These are not things I necessarily believe, but I certainly think they're questions that should be asked. Um, Are you in danger of being carried away as you walk off the... No,
3: no. I mean, I can't say that. I just think it's sort of basically you will be, you know, the the full force of argument will be put upon you. I see. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's no question. I mean, for example, on the issue of uh, migration, for example... um, you know, for many years, immigration was not talked about at all, uh, and mm. we've had you know yeah. historic was, levels of immigration into yeah. Britain and into Europe. Uh, but it's one of those issues that people are very, very uh, wary about talking about. That's changed slightly, although I'd say not enough. Um, but essentially, it's not like you know you're not going to be carted off, you know, whatever yeah. by the piece. But it, it's more that actually there's a kind of atmosphere that's created whereby basically people are concerned about what they can and cannot say. Right, right. And I just think fear. you know this yeah. is also very much um, prevalent on our campuses, just like here, you know? Yeah, you, yeah. You've got this sort of obsession with identity politics, which now means that, you know, uh, people are increasingly worried about what they can, whether something's going to be offensive or not. I've been speaking to friends here, for example, um, and they say more or less exactly the same here is happening, really, you know, yeah. that people are worried about is this going to offend this group? Is it going to offend that group? Whatever that—that that is very similar. I think, yeah.
0: yeah. So, if you had to bet ten pounds, are, are you out by October thirty first?
3: Oh, dear, I, I very much doubt it. Okay. I, I very much doubt it. <laughs> oh, yeah. but I don't want to be yeah. pessimistic, you yeah. know,
0: but... All right, well, Peter Whittle, the show is, so what you're saying is, and it is available on YouTube, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah, take a look at it, because it really is interesting. Thank you very thank much you very for very coming much. on. I hope I you come, come back next time. I you will. Down. thank All you. Right. Uh, final reflection, they are uh, having a meeting in... Um, some posh resort. Where is it? The billionaire creators of Google have invited a who's who. This is from the New York Post of A-list names, including Barack Obama, Prince Harry, Leonardo DiCaprio and Katy Perry to the Sicilian seaside for a mega party they've dubbed Google Camp. And it is all about what do you think fighting climate change? So all these private jets, over 100 private jets descend on this resort to discuss the CO2 in the air. And this is, I mean, they say the post crunched the numbers and found that 114 first-class seats from Los Angeles to Palermo, Italy, where camp guests landed, would spew an estimated 784,000 kilograms of CO2 into the air. The reason I bring this up, I mean, this has always happened to Al Gore. When I lived in Santa Barbara, Al Gore built a house in Santa Barbara. We always knew when Al came home because the lights dimmed. When he turned on his lights, this thing was sucking energy out of the air. And I think it was finally just a house for the wife he dumped, uh, Tipper. And the idea was that we were somehow wrong for criticizing Al Gore. And I I found this wonderful letter statement that Gore Uh, Of course, people put out in Tucker Carlson's book, uh, Ship of Fools, uh, they put out a press release saying Vice President Gore leads a carbon neutral life by purchasing green energy, reducing carbon impacts and offsetting any emissions. So in other words, if you're rich enough, you can do any damn thing you want because you're offsetting your emissions. So this niceness, this niceness has its limits, right? This niceness can be you can buy your way out of this niceness as long as you appear to care. And I just want to end before I stop the show. I want to end with this. Uh, little girl, she's 11 years old, I think, who was at a demonstration in England uh, for the planet, and here she is talking about her
3: future. I just don't know if they're going to do anything, and I just, I'm so concerned with the fact that if they're not going to change anything, then what's going to happen to humankind? What's going to happen to our, what's going to happen to the
2: whole world if if no one does anything?
0: See, this is the flip side of this. Is that kid going to build anything? Is she going to make anything? Is she going to do anything? Or is she so afraid that anything she touches is going to blow her world up, that she is just going to sit still and let it all come crashing down? It is a really sad thing to do to children. It's a really sad thing to do to the generations. This niceness isn't all that nice. The Clavenless Weekend is here. There will be great wailing and gnashing of teeth. Survivors gather here on Monday. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show. The Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Austin Stevens and directed by Mike Joyner. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. And our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Edited by Adam Sayovitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. Animations are by Cynthia Angulo. And our production assistant is Nick Sheehan. The Andrew Clavin Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2019.
3: If you prefer facts over feelings, if you aren't
0: offended by the brutal truth, if you can still laugh at the nuttiness filling our national news cycle, well, tune on in to The Ben Shapiro Show, where you'll get a whole lot of that and much more. We'll see you there.